You know, First Peter 2 and 3 really gives us some incredible pictures of what it looks like to submit. You know, put your finger in First Peter chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. But, but before we jump into First Peter 2, I'd love for you to turn to Psalm 16. I want you to see this passage. Years ago, my father-in-law quoted this. And uh, I thought, man, I need to memorize this verse. And I would challenge you to, these two verses, I would challenge you to consider memorizing Psalm 16, 5 and 6. It says this, O Lord, you have assigned my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Let's think about this for just a second. I mean, uh, think about that portion and cup. See that? You know, truly God has called each one of us to a specific task. He has equipped us. He has led us. And he has um, moved you. He's, work, he's been at work in your life. And he's called you to run a race that is marked out for you. He's assigned your portion and your cup. Look at this. Think about that secure lot. God has given us um, uh, uh, security and stability as we follow him. Now, following Jesus is not always easy. It's not always comfortable. But, but let me tell you, when you follow Christ, that really does lead you to the most incredible life you could ever imagine. And I don't want you to miss the, the secure lot that, that Jesus provides, that God provides when you follow him. The, the notice where the boundary lines have fallen. It says, the boundary lines have fallen for me where? In pleasant places. That God has put guidelines for us and God has put boundaries in our lives for our good, for your blessing, for my blessing. And we recognize this. You know, um, before we get into First Peter, I want to address something that happened in our denomination last Sunday. Last Sunday at four o'clock, a report was released among Southern Baptists, and it was a, a sexual abuse report in the Southern Baptist Convention. And, um, and, and you know, it's difficult to realize that so many leaders in our denomination, they, they really haven't honored the Lord, and, and these boundaries have not been embraced and, um, and man, this, this report was heartbreaking. But, but it's important for us to lean into a report like this and to confront it. And we, we've, we've learned and we're learning that, that when conviction happens, when, when the, the, you run, you, look at, you lean into it, you lean into conviction. And, and we've got to confront sin. We also need to help victims who have been hurt by unfaithful shepherds. And, um, and you know, as, I've, in, as I read that report, as I, as I um, think about what we are to do as a result of that report, let me tell you, we, we've got to be... Um, We've got to be faithful to prevent sexual abuse in our churches. And we've got to make sure that when abuse happens, we report it. And that's something that um, 
we have done and will do and must do. We've got to care for those that have been hurt, survivors of this. We've got to care for people. And, and you know what? We've got to take care of the vulnerable around us. We've got to do this. Most of you know that I have um, assumed this volunteer role this year as the president of Oklahoma Baptist. And, and one of the things that I was tasked to do was to put together an abuse and a prevention task force for the state of Oklahoma. And, um, and one of our church members, Lori Tomey, who was in the first service, she is, she's on that task force. And it consists of, of people uh, from all over the state, some incredible leaders. And one of the things I've, we've asked, and it's not just me, I, I put it together, but, but we've asked this task force to do is to develop a plan of best practices when to, to prevent sexual abuse in our churches. We've also asked them to put together some uh, steps, practical steps to help us in our churches across Oklahoma to, to, to successfully handle abuse when, it, when and if it does happen. And so the bottom line is we've got to deal with this the right way. And so the Bible speaks to what you do, how you live when sin is exposed. And, and it's always best to live in the light, not in the dark. And um, so, uh, but I want you to know what we do at our church uh, to prevent this and to uh, confront this. I want you to know we have practices in our church to protect our kids and our students and volunteers, that every volunteer that works with a minor, um, they have to go through a background check when it comes to our practices in our church. We, um, we, are, we don't let one person be alone. There's always a, a, a group. There's more than one. And, and if anybody reports abuse to us or if any abuse is ever reported uh, to us, we report it. We, we, we follow those guidelines. And and, and our goal is simple. We want this to be a safe place. And we are working hard for this to be a safe place for kids and adults. And, and we've embraced boundaries. And so this is, happens like if, I'm, if, if our staff is ever counseling somebody of the opposite sex, um, the door's open. There is a, um, someone outside the door. We, we, we are very careful with those practices. Um, you know, we have some important boundaries. For example, um, I'm so grateful for Mark Hartman, who was a pastor in my life when I was a youth minister. And um, he made me do this. And, and after I learned about this, I thought, man, this is a good idea. But, but you know, you will never see me or any of our staff members in a car by ourselves with a person of the opposite sex unless it's a family member. You'll just never see it. You'll never see us out to lunch uh, with, with a, you'll never see me or any of our staff out to lunch with a woman by ourselves unless, uh, um, unless it's a family member. Those are just some guidelines, some boundaries. And, and you know, um, when it comes to our staff, we prioritize our marriages. We tri prioritize our families. And this is something that is important to us. And we pay attention to one another. And, and so I just want you to know that. Now, um, 
when I read this report this week, and I don't know if you may not be aware of it, but it was all over the news and came out Sunday, and I just felt like I needed to address it today. But, but as I read this, I, I'm, I very quickly realized again that nobody is immune from sexual temptation or sin, that we always have to keep our guard up. This is so very important. And so um, I, I don't want to address, I didn't want to address this today, but I needed to. And so I just want you to know where, where we are. And we got to get better at this, and we will. And uh, I'm thankful for um, the pastors in my life who are looking at a report like this, and we're not running. We're, we're not going to run and hide. We're going to confront it and follow the Lord. That's what we got to do. So I want you to know. That. I found myself also thanking the Lord. We're in First Peter two, talking about submission, because it's important to submit. It's important to submit to one another. When I look at our church, I submit to our, our church council, our, our deacon body, our, our church body. We've got to be in this life. God puts us in submissive relationships to one another to, to challenge one another, to help one another. So 1 Peter 2, let's get into it today. And, and you know, when we've, uh, we, we've already seen the, 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 the importance of submission here, and, and that we defined it this way, that submission is when I yield my will to your will so we can walk together. That's the definition of submission. And, and, and we've learned in 1 Peter 2 that it begins with submitting to God. And it's so important for us to submit to the Lord. We submit to what, who, what God has said. We submit to his word. And this is why we work so hard in our church to lean into what the word of God says. Because God moves us to submit to him. Now, this is not in our human nature. Our human nature is not to submit. Our human nature is, I'm going to do it my way. I don't want you to tell me what to do. I mean, this is the tragedy of this, this report. In the name of our church autonomy that you can't tell us what to do, We've made some drastic errors. But, but first, first Peter, as I study this book, it moves us to submit to the Lord. And as I submit to the Lord, you know what I learned to do? Is submit to one another, to submit to a brother, to submit to a sister in Christ. In my marriage, I've learned the value of submitting to my wife. And there are times, though she submits to me, there are many times I submit to her. And this is the beauty of marriage. This is the biblical call of marriage, to submit to one another. And the Bible's clear on this. But let's look into how we submit at work. Stand with me. Let's look at verses 18 through 25 in 1 Peter chapter 2. And he starts out, verse 25, or 18. Slaves, submit yourself for the Lord's, or no, excuse me, Submit yourself to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. But what is it to your credit? If you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it. But if you receive a beating for doing good and you endure it, 
This is commendable before God. To this you were called. For Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree so that you might die to sins and live for righteousness. For by his wounds, you have been healed. For we were like sheep going astray. But now we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. May be seated. Now, now, this is an interesting passage, especially as we consider ways to serve the Lord while we work. And, you know, uh, Google, I, I Googled something. You realize that not everything on the internet is true, right? Uh, just keep that in mind. But I did Google, how much time do we spend at work? And Google told me that a third of our life we spend at work. That, and that, that's crazy. A third of your life you're going to spend at the office. I, I, I think that might be pretty close. Google might be right there. But, but you know, when you think about the, how much time we spend at work, no wonder God speaks to how we should live at the office or in our jobs. Now, you may go, well, wait a minute, Chris. I, I'm missing something because, Chris, did you not see the first word of chapter, uh, of verse 18? Look at the first word of 18. He addresses who he's talking to, slaves. Now, you may go, I felt like one at work, but, but, but wait a second. Slaves, let's understand a little history here. Let's understand a little first century uh, Roman culture historical perspective. You, you know, many believe that in the, in the time of the Roman Empire, it was estimated there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. Now, historians say that in big cities that a third of the population were actually slaves. But during the time, and during the time of Peter that he wrote this, um, the, the church was growing. There were many people that were coming to Christ. And so, so there were all types of people coming to Christ. There were masters that were coming to Christ. Uh, Philemon was a master. Uh, but a lot of people were, were slaves. At the time of Peter, there were these men called freedmen. They had earned their freedom. And so they had been slaves, but now they were slaves. But, but, but slavery was something that impacted um, Roman culture in a big way, and that's important to understand. Now, now let's understand a little aspects of, the, of first century slavery because um, it is true that the average slave, they would have been harassed and they would have been um, facing some tough, tough times. But... Um, Aristotle said that, that slaves were like a tool in Roman law. And, 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 you know, it's interesting that according to the Institutes of Gaius, I don't know if you've read that lately, but, um, but he said that a, that a slave was considered a non-person 
early in Roman history. And, and this was, this so impacted uh, Roman culture that things developed. Like, have you ever heard the term Spartacus, the name Spartacus? Um, because of the treatment of slaves, there was a lot of these slave revolts, and Spartacus was a slave revolt, and, and man, he brought a lot of, a lot of killing to Rome for their slavery. And, and so by the time of the first century, the culture of slavery had kind of developed and, and morphed, and, and, and there was more rights to slaves. And, and in fact, it became really common for slaves to earn their slavery, their freedom by the age of 30. And, and it's interesting, Augustus, th- this was happening so much that Augustus was this politician, and he's like, let's, let's pass a law that you can't earn your, your, your freedom because there were so many that were earning their freedom, and, and he said he needed to stop it, but he couldn't stop it. Because a slave during the time of Peter, um, though there were some tough circumstances and there was, there was brutality, there was, but a lot of slaves were, um, were, they were earning their freedom. They, a slave could own property. Uh, a slave could, uh, didn't necessarily mean you were a low class. There were high class slaves. There were, uh, a lot of people went into slavery as a way of bettering their life. And this was just part of the, the culture. And it's different than what we saw in the United States in our American history. But, um, but I think it's right, as we look at this passage, to rightly understand the comparison with slavery to how we work. And so let's look at verse 18. Notice this. Slaves, submit yourself to your masters. Notice this. With all respect. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now, now it's important to understand there's a common misconception in the world that that there's a myth that that you only serve the Lord by working through the church or at church. And you got to realize my calling in your life as your pastor. The pastors in our church, our calling is not to do the work of ministry. Our calling is to equip the church for the work of ministry. And do you know one of the places you're called to serve the Lord? It's where you work. You know, the, the, the truth is, you can serve burgers for the Lord. You can make dresses for the Lord. You can mow lawns for the Lord. You can do business deals for the Lord. And the truth is, God calls us to serve the Lord everywhere we go. And this is why it's so important to recognize that when you go out to work, that you are to um, show respect to, like it says, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. How many of you ever had a bad boss? Raise your hand, it's okay. How many of you have a bad boss right now? No, no, don't raise your hand. I'm just kidding. Um, if you're at home watching on the internet online, you can raise your hand if you want, but, uh, unless your boss is with you. Um, but, but you know what? We have bad bosses at times. Like even I, I've, been, I've only had one job outside the church, and I coach tennis lessons. And, and I want you to know, in the church, I've had some bad bosses. But, but you know what? That doesn't ever excuse myself of being a jerk. The Bible calls me to submit myself with all respect. I mean, submit yourself to your masters with all respect. We don't have the option to be disrespectful. And the Bible is very clear on this. Now, God's speaking very clearly. You should obey your bosses. 
Now, there's a, I want to say that, that there's a qualifier to that. You're, if your boss ever asks you to do something that's immoral or, or that is illegal or that is unethical, the answer is no. Daniel is a great example in Scripture of Daniel rightly saying, I'm not going to do that. That compromises my, my, my walk with the Lord. So I want you to know it's never okay to compromise your walk with the Lord so you don't obey a boss at all costs. But can I just be honest? Most of the time when we are not submissive to bosses, it's not because it's something unethical or immoral. It's just a philosophical difference or something, and, and we just have a tendency to be rebellious. And the Bible says that's not okay. We're to demonstrate deep respect as we work with people. Slave, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and considerate, that's easy to do, right? But also to those who are harsh. And then notice what he says. For it is commendable. If a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. Now there's so, so much wisdom here. You know, when your boss tells you something to do, are you like murmuring under your breath, like, I said, I can't believe you. Or do you, are you respectful to him? Even when you don't want to do it, even you, when you don't think it's right. You, you know, God's word moves us to recognize that, that, that you work for the Lord. Think about that. You work for the Lord, and God's telling you to treat your your boss with respect and, and to do what he tells you to do. It's like Colossians 4, 23 and 24 that says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. The Bible's very clear that as we work in the world, as we work in our jobs, we are to work as to the Lord, and that we're to be faithful to God and to our job, regardless of what our boss is like. And, and, and here's the point. I think it's obvious here. We don't ever have an excuse to sin. We don't ever have an excuse to go, I can be a jerk because he's a jerk. No, that's not what our call of Christ is. We are, uh, even when situations are unfair and are not good, we are never, we, we are commanded to be respectful. And this is what the Bible clearly tells us. We work for the Lord. And, and we're to give him our best every time. And we'll let him deal with our earthly boss, right? You know, um, I, I, uh, Mark Van Curen is a member of our church, and uh, I, I hadn't seen him today. But, um, uh, but he, when I was a senior in high school, I went to Moore High School, and Mark was the basketball coach at Westmore High School. It was his first job out of college. And, um, and so he's the, he's the assistant coach at Westmore. I'm a player at Moore. I'm a senior. Coach Dudley, um, we... Uh, we had this deal in practice where we had to make five free throws in a row. And if we missed one, we had to run. And uh, so, man, it was the end of practice. We had been working all day, and I was, I was shooting my free throws. And, and I, I, I had four in a row, and I went to number five, and I missed it. But it came right back to me really quick because it hit the front of the rim and just bounced right back to me. And I get the ball, and I was looking around. 
and I didn't think anybody saw me, so I shot my fifth and sixth one, and I made it. And then no one saw me except Coach Dudley. That's not a good thing. And he screamed at all of us. He's like, everybody on the line. Wouldn't that be, if you think coaches, is that fun to say, uh, to make everybody get on the line? But, but that wasn't a fun day for me. Everybody got on the line, and we had to run, and I don't know, I'll reveal a little bit about me. I, I was always a puker. You probably didn't need to know that, but I just shared it anyway. But, but man, we ran and ran and ran, and it was my fault. You know what, I think, I thought back about that moment. Um, because the next two days later, we played Midwest City, and Coach Dudley made me sit the bench the entire game. And, you know, I was a senior, and I knew better to be that kind of leader. I was a coach's son. My dad was a coach. I mean, having to admit that to my dad, why didn't you play? Why were you sitting the bench? Well, He's mad at Coach Dudley, but then I had to tell him. He's like, you did what? That was not a fun conversation with my father. But you know what else? I was a follower of Christ. I should have been the hardest worker on the team. And, and you know what? The, the Bible moves us to some principles. So let, let me give you three real quick. You know, as we follow Christ, as we put his word into practice, we should always stay conscious of God. I want to challenge that this verse, this passage moves us to work conscious of God. Your work life should reflect you being conscious of God in your life. You know, you know what else I've learned about work and about bosses, and this passage is very clear, that, that you must learn to endure hard things. Sometimes you're going to have a boss that's not a good boss. Look, learning to endure hard things might be good for you. You may be frustrated with your boss right now. You may be able to think of all the things that's wrong with him. What is God teaching you through that situation? It's good for us to learn to endure hardships even where we work. And, and I see this, and, and I want to challenge you, as a follower of Christ, you should be getting better at your job. Like as a pastor, I want to get better at my, at my calling, at my job every, I want to get better all the time. And sometimes um, we get into a habit of, I just want to coast. As a follower of Christ, we should never coast. We should always be striving to be better at our job. And I think it's verse 20 is interesting. Look at verse 20. But what is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? What's it to your credit if you, like, like to, I got disciplined by Coach Dudley? Man, that was my fault. What's it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you receive a beating for doing good and you endure it, look at this. This is commendable before God. Oh, my goodness. Maybe the hardship at your work is tough, but do you know that you can respond to that in a way that is commendable before the king of all kings? This is commendable before God, but notice this. To this you were called. Oh my, whoa, what? 
We're called to endure hardships. We're called to respond well during tough times. We're called to respond in a godly way when people treat us unjustly. To this you were called. Why? For Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And what, what did Jesus do? Look at it, it. Peter says it. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. That, that's got to be our response. That's our calling. When people hurl insults at us, let's not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. You know, I had a, I had a situation a couple weeks ago that, that I got an email from a person that is treating our church, in my opinion, unjustly. And it made me mad. And I immediately slipped into, you know what, that punk? I, I got some ways to, I got, I, and you know, when I'm pushed, I have this gift of being a smart aleck jerk. I'm gifted with that, that ability. And, and then, golly, I had to start preparing for 1 Peter 2, 18 through 21. And I'm like, yeah, don't retaliate. Oh, man, okay. Then I'm having to submit to God. And you know what? When I think about what God's word is saying here, Jesus set this example. When they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. What did he do? Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. What would it look like in your job if you worked in such a way that you're like, Lord, I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust in the one who judges justly. Like with this situation that I was frustrated with, man, I've entrusted, I've tried to entrust myself to him who judges justly. Point two, and we see this in this passage, that handle conflict trusting Christ. I want to challenge us to do this. Let's handle the conflict that comes our way trusting Jesus. And, and what does that look like when you're angry? Choose not to sin. And this is a calling we have that, that even if a boss treats you unjustly, even if a, a teacher treats you unfairly, treats you unfairly, look, we don't ever have an excuse to sin. It's okay to be angry. You know, Ephesians 4, 26 says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. That it's not wrong to be angry. It's wrong to, in my anger, to go ahead and sin. The Bible's clear on this then we see this in this passage very clear. We've got to refuse to retaliate. When we want to retaliate against a boss or someone we work with, we are, we are called to refuse to retaliate. And this is a very clear instruction of God. Romans 12, 19 through 21. I thought of this passage as I pondered 1 Peter 2. It says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then I love what verse 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the call we have. To, to allow the Lord, to trust the Lord in such a way that we will overcome all the evil that comes our way with good. 
And see, when I think about this, let's never forget that God sees everything. So can I challenge you with something? Here's a mission challenge for the day. I want to challenge you this week. Get a card. Write a note to your boss. And just say, even if you're struggling with finding things to be thankful for, you can find something to be thankful for. And write a note and give it to your boss. I want to challenge you with that. And, um, and if you're a boss, I want you to write a note to your employees, those that fr- even those that frustrate you. And be like, I'm thankful for you. I, I want to challenge us to overcome evil with good. Now, how can you might go, Chris, this is hard. I can't do it. Well, yeah, you can. Especially if you know Christ, you can. Now, why am I so confident in that? Well, look at verse 24. You know why we can do this? Because he himself bore our sins in his body on a tree. Why? So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And you know what the Bible says right here? For by his wounds, you have been healed. By his wounds, you've been healed. And you know what? When I look at, at the, 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 the many opportunities that I have to forgive people, like this guy that I think has treated our church unfairly in this one situation, you know what? I, 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 I can't hold the grudge against him. I can't lash out against this guy. Why? Because I, I've been forgiven. Christ has forgiven me. And you know what? He has moved me to, he's healed me from my, my sins. And, and, I, and I've learned that, wait, even though I still battle my sinful nature, I've died to sin. And I'm moved to live for righteousness. And I love verse 25. For you were like sheep going astray. That's how I used to be. I used to be like a sheep that was just going astray, that was just going wherever I wanted and following my own path. And and Peter says, hey, all you that are facing difficulty, all you that are facing persecution, once you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd. And notice in your Bible, it's probably capitalized. The, The great shepherd, you've returned to the great shepherd. And you know what the great shepherd does? He leads you. He guides you. He strengthens you. He he leads you to the path of of righteousness. He he leads you to the quiet waters. He he guides your life. You know when I realize frustration at work, I, I can return to the shepherd, the one who will lead and help. And notice this, not only the shepherd, but the overseer, that's probably capitalized in your Bible too, the overseer of your souls. Oh, don't you know that Jesus has, he oversees our soul. That means he gives us power from the inside by his spirit. And you know what? He gives us the ability to to love our enemies and do good to those who persecute us. And and just like Jesus was able to be on the cross and and not retaliate, when they hurled their their threats, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats and said, I'm going to get you. No, he didn't do that. He, He loved those 
that persecuted him. Let's serve the Lord at work. Let's, let's trust the Lord with the work of our hands. You'll never regret that. You know, Joe's going to come on up. We need to have an invitation today. And there's a lot of things to pray for today. You know, we need to get on our knees and pray for um, many in our denomination that have been manipulated and hurt. And I'll tell you, the, those that have not been cared for well, in, in my seat this week and in the last few months, in my denominational seat that I'm volunteering in right now, I've sat with some survivors and heard some stories and have lamented. Um, and I'll tell you, We've got some work to do. And I, you know what we need to do today? This is one of those days to, to move. And I want to challenge some of you to come get on your knees and pray for those victims. I'm going to ask some of you to pray for me as I am in this denominational seat. Because it's been a... I'm, I'm grateful to be there. I'm grateful to serve as the president of Oklahoma Baptist. But it's been an... An, an, an unexpected wait. Um, now, I'm grateful, but, boy, it's, caught, it's driven me to my knees a little bit, which is good. But, man, we got some work to do. Um, maybe you've been a victim of this. Hey, we can help you, and we will. We'll learn how to help you. But let's get on our knees today. There's people hurting our nation, and I'm thankful for Amber's leadership today and praying for those in Texas. I mean, goodness gracious, I couldn't help but think. You know, we had a Southern Baptist pastor whose granddaughter was killed in that shooting. And I'll tell you what. That impacted me. On the, the day before, the night before, my granddaughter was born. And I thought about that grandfather. How, how in the world did he get up and preach today? Look, let's get on our knees today. If you need Jesus, can I just tell you, I, I, I wish so bad I could take my heart and put it into yours and let you experience the master of this place who is the overseer of my soul, that, that you could get a taste of what it looks like for, for, for Jesus to be your shepherd and your overseer of your soul. All that begins when you come to Christ. And if you don't know Jesus, I, I pray that you don't go one more day without following him, without knowing him, without putting your faith in him. Oh my goodness, don't you see who he is and what he's done? Now he can help you. If you don't know Christ, I beg you, come to Jesus today. I'm going to be down front. And if you need Jesus, I'll pray with you. I'll help you. We'll have somebody help you today. But let's get on our knees today. It's a heavy day, but an important day.
Would you stand where you are? Lord Jesus, would you move us now? Even for those watching online, would you move them? Father, we need you today. We trust you today. We lean into you today. In Jesus' name, amen.